I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis as we continue our study of the faith of Abraham, a pioneer of faith. We're going to look at the 16th chapter, and as you're turning there, I invite you to stand, and we will receive this word together. Hear the words of the Lord. Genesis 16, beginning with verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for this wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Be'er Lehi Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. And then we'll add Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. Allied forces following World War II found a, etched on a wall in an abandoned house in Germany this, uh, this inscription. A victim of the Holocaust had scratched a star of David on a crumbling wall, and beneath the, the rough lettering was this message. I believe in the sun even when it does not shine I believe in love even when it is not shown I believe in God even when he is silent you know perhaps our faith is never more tested than when it seems that God is silent James uh, the apostle said consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face various trials of many kinds well, faith in God is tested in a number of ways. You've probably gone through some of those tests. Sometimes it's adversity. Sometimes it's prosperity. 
It can be temptations in the flesh, temptations of pride. But you know, one of the most difficult tests to pass, it seems to me, is when it seems that God is simply silent, when he seems unresponsive to our prayers. Do we continue to trust God when his promises seem unfulfilled? Do we continue to obey God when he doesn't seem to, to be paying off? Do we keep believing God when he seems so silent for a long time? That is a difficult test because it goes contrary to our nature and to what we come to experience in our day. In our day, we're used to instant action and immediate solutions. We have fast food. If we want to know something, we ask Alexa. We have one-hour cleaners, 10-minute oil changes, next-day deliveries, and instant video streaming. We have this itch for the instantaneous. But Isaiah 55, 18 says that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Boy, do we know that. God is patient. He's never in a hurry, but in fact, he's never late either. He always waits for just the right time to work out his perfect will. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some would count slowness. He is patient with you, rather, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The reason he's patient is he wants to, 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 to see others come to know him. And so the Bible repeatedly instructs the people of God to wait on him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him, said the psalmist. Patience is better than pride, said Solomon. They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength, said Isaiah. Be patient in affliction, said Paul. James said, His patient, or, be patient, brothers, Till the Lord's coming. So we're called to be patient. Well, I know many of us aren't very good at that. But the truth is, if you're going to walk with Christ, sometimes we have to slow down, and that's a hard thing to do. But it's an extremely dangerous thing not to do. Eugene Peterson, in a book written quite a few years ago now, was entitled, A Long Obedience in the same direction this is what he wrote back then in the 70s in our culture in our kind of culture anything even news about god can be sold if it is packaged freshly but when it loses its novelty it goes on the garbage heap there's a great market for religious experience in our in our world there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. The Bible talks about patience, steadfast patience. And of course, as we, as we enter into the story, we see here that Abraham's faith is being tested by God's silence. In Genesis 16, we discover that Abraham and Sarah have had a prolonged frustration that in spite of God's promise to them, they are to be a great nation, they have no children. 
and they're getting older and older. And just about the time Abraham and Sarah were about to give up, in, earlier God reappears and God reiterates his promise. And earlier in Genesis, he takes Abram out and he says, look at the stars, count them if you can, your descendants will be so numbered. That's how many your descendants will be. And so in Genesis 15, Abraham is said to believe God. And the Bible says it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, I want you to notice there that Abraham was not considered righteous because he did all the right things. In fact, as we study Abraham, we're going to see and have seen he did a lot of wrong things. But it's his faith in God that made him righteous. But three more years go by, and there's still no sign of a baby. Abraham is now 85 years old. Sarah is 75, and God doesn't seem to be working. Abraham, do you really believe me? Do you really trust me? Are you really going to follow me anywhere, wherever I take you? In fact, let's ask the question, why didn't God immediately give Abraham a son? Why didn't God immediately whisk Abraham away to the promised land the very moment Abraham agreed to follow him? Instead, Abraham had to wait. He had to wander in tents, fraught with danger and heartbreak and setbacks. And so you have to ask the question, why does God make Abraham wait? And why does God make us so often wait? And I think there is an important lesson in all of this. Because God was not just trying to take Abraham somewhere. He was also trying to make Abraham into someone. And there's a very big statement there. What God is doing in us in the waiting is just as important as what he wants to do through us. God desires not just to take us to heaven, it is his hope and will that he puts heaven into us. And so we have to learn to wait. A lot of people in this room know what it is to wait. Where is God's promise that all things work together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose? Where is God's promise that if you cast your burden on him, that he cares for you? You know what it is to ask that question. The Bible says you reap what you sow, but sometimes there's a long difference between when you sow something and when you actually reap. I found it interesting this week as I was reading Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith. It says this in verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things they pro that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. In other words, sometimes we have to wait until eternity to have the, all the promises fulfilled for us and in order to be patient it is imperative that we understand the nature of God and what the Bible calls his forbearance waiting is hard however you remember as a kid 
as a child, you had a much different concept of time than, than what you may as a parent. If mom said to me, well, son, you've got to wait till supper, well, it may have only been a half hour, but that just seemed like hours. Remember waiting for Christmas? That seemed like eternity. One dad was taking his four-year-old son on a fishing trip to the lake, and they were going to have to travel about 250 miles to get there. Well, after 50 miles in the car, the little boy looked at his dad and said, Dad, are we almost there? The father said, No, son, uh, we got a long way to go. Well, after 100 miles, again the boy said, Dad, are we almost there? And the father said, No, we're not even quite halfway there yet. Well, after 150 miles, again the little boy chimed in, Dad, will I still be four when we get there? I think we know what that feels like. The Bible says to God, a day is like a thousand years. Noah waited 120 years before it rained. Moses waited 40 years in the wilderness until he reached the promised land. Joseph spent two years in prison, serving a sentence that he did not deserve before God rescued him. Jonah prayed in the sea, Lord, please save me. And then he spent three long days, uncomfortable days, I'm sure, in the belly of the fish. Paul, the apostle, waited a decade after his conversion before he went out to preach and lead in the church. It's not unusual that God calls his people to wait. Habakkuk 1-2 cried out, How long, O Lord, must I cry for help? but you do not listen. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? And there are many times in life when our faith requires that we sit and we wait, not knowing what's going to happen, but believing that God is faithful and his promises will eventually be fulfilled. But then let's look at Abraham. Frustrated with God's silence, Sarai proposes to Abram, her husband, an impetuous solution. She has an Egyptian maid named Hagar. She says to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children, so I guess maybe you should take Hagar. Perhaps we can build a family through her. Now, I need you to know up front, this is not God's will. This is not his doing. But out of frustration, this couple begins to take things into their own hands. And the Bible says, God helps those who help themselves. It actually doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say that. And we see here pretty soon why. Sarah thinks the only way we're going to have children is through somebody else. And so Abram agrees and Hagar becomes a tragic figure here, doesn't she? Polygamy was a common practice in that day, of course, but it's never approved as the will of God. But Abram and Sarai were convinced that God was not keeping his end of the bargain, and so they take their matter into their own hands. And it's a reminder, isn't it, that when we're frustrated with life circumstances, Yes, again, it's really difficult to wait for the Lord or to wait for anybody. 
But we're also reminded in this passage when we refuse to wait on God, when we go against the Lord's timing, the result is always a disaster. You know, some young people can't wait for marriage and the result is guilt and damage to that relationship. Some people can't wait to have things, so they, they get into debt and they cause themselves years of anxiety. I, I know this. I see young couples who buy that dream house out of the gate before they can afford it, and they're, they're like people going up an escalator that's actually going down. They, they can't think about anything else. They couldn't possibly be generous because of the weight that they put on themselves. They don't own the house, the house owns them. Psalm 4, or Proverbs 14, 29 reads, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered one displays folly. Well, Abraham and Sarah's solution eventually brings about incredible complications. Now, you can imagine this, right? Think about your household. First, there is the animosity that goes on there. We see the jealousy between Sarai and Hagar, Sarai and Abraham, for that matter. And I don't, again, think this is a surprise. If you look at verse 5, consider what Sarah says to Abraham. She says, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Now, I, I, I want to think about him as a husband, and, of course, he's just responding, who, me? I just did what you told me to do. And Abraham can't understand why Sarah is so upset with him. It may have been Sarah's idea, but Abraham is in deep, deep trouble here. He should have said, what? No, honey, if we can't have a child together between the two of us, I don't want anybody else. You're enough for me. That would have been the right answer. But Abraham doesn't respond that way. And so he's caught in the middle. He is miserable. The family is miserable. The sign that I saw one time in someone's kitchen was right. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. And so what we see here is Abraham trying to respond, trying to think it through, and he is cold and passive. Because in verse 6, he says, your slave is in your hands, Abraham says. In other words, she means nothing to me. Do with her whatever you think is best. And so Sarah does, and she mistreats Hagar, and Hagar flees from her. And I'm sure that at that, Sarah was relieved, but God was not pleased. Now let me just take a moment here and recognize something. Hagar, who is caught here, is in a terrible system of injustice. She here is being used as property. She is pregnant and unloved, and she doesn't seem to matter to anyone. But you know what we discover in this passage? and I think it is one of the most dramatic and perhaps one of the tenderest moments in all of the Old Testament because this abused, forgotten, female, Egyptian slave, scared 
and all alone is not unseen. She encounters the living God. And did you notice she is so amazed she gives him a name. She names God. Elroy, you are the God who sees me. Now there's a whole sermon right there and one that I need to preach someday. But God here in this passage tells her to, to go back to the camp I will take care of you. And you'll notice that she gets a promise too. She will also be a great nation. She returns to the camp and there is a temporary truce. Ishmael was born, but Sarah resents him. And when Sarah finally has a child of her own, Isaac, the older boy, makes fun of the younger one. And so what a mess we have made. What a mess is made when we don't follow God's will. There are countless examples of this. And in this case, the blended family just doesn't blend. And so finally, Abraham casts out Hagar and Ishmael out of the camp for good. And the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac, Arabs and Jews are still at each other's throats after all these years. Now all that happened because Abraham grew impatient. You know, when we run ahead of God and we disobey, there are inevitable difficulties. Let me ask you, have you ever made a mess of things? Man, the stories I could tell, and I won't. Moses became impatient when he saw the abuse of this Hebrew slave. You remember he killed an Egyptian and had to run for 40 years. King Saul couldn't wait for the prophet Samuel to arrive to to make the sacrifice, so he took it into his own hands and did it himself, and Saul ended up losing the throne. Martha becomes impatient with her sister Mary for not helping out with the chores, and Martha missed out on the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus. Peter, he got impatient with God's plan to save Israel. And so when Jesus was arrested, Peter took things into his own hands by taking out his sword and he tried to kill a soldier. And Jesus heals the soldier and rebukes Peter. You see, we don't like to wait. We like to take things into our own hands. William Barclay wrote, however, when our fighting instincts say, go on, it takes a big and a brave man to wait. You see, in our humanity, we fear that we're going to miss out on our chance. Our opportunity will be gone, but it's wise to wait on the timing of God, even when it seems like we're throwing an opportunity, our chance away. I've come to appreciate the wisdom of A.W. Tozer when he said, if the Lord is in it, it flows. If it's forced, it's of the flesh. 
Abraham forces this. It was in the flesh. That's one of the things that I guess has been so evident to me about our establishment of the Illyria campus. I, I look at each stage of this process and we haven't forced anything. It has just flowed. We, we didn't go to them, they, they came to us. We put up all kinds of barriers of why we shouldn't do this. Each one of those barriers was knocked down I had been encouraging Pastor David about a year ago that he was too good a preacher to, to not have opportunity to preach more often. And now he's preaching all the time. I saw when I presented this to the elder board, I was certain they would say, you know what? We've got too much on our plate. We've got a campaign coming up. We've got challenges as we come out of COVID. And yet they said, you know what? We think God might be in this. We ought to just take the next step. And we we kept going and then when we came to the congregation to a person we had unanimity there in Illyria and here to move forward along the way we've had sufficient resources we've had leaders step up people give and be, participate God has been in this and using you and us together but I'm going to say one of the reasons I'm so excited about it is because it wasn't forced God was in it. My wife recently got a coat at Burlington down the street here. She had bought several items for Christmas, and when she got home, she realized, you know, that was really incredibly cheap. So she began to wonder if a mistake had been made, and sure enough, when she looked at the receipt, she realized that she had never been charged for this nice coat that she bought. Well, the, the clerk had removed the anti-theft device on the coat, but with some irony, if you think about it, forgot to scan it. So Mary is telling me the story, and all I wanted to know was, okay, how much did we save? How much did we not get charged? But Mary wasn't finished telling me the story. No, 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 Jeff. She said, I knew I had to go back to Burlington to pay for that coat. So she went in and she explained to the cashier what had happened and she said that they needed to ring it up so she could pay. And I'm thinking, you know, any money we saved could have gone to the capital campaign. She said the lady across the counter looked at her like she was from Mars and we paid for the coat and the church lost out. Somehow, let it be known that there's someone in North Olmstead who has some integrity. Well, Abraham, listen, needed to learn a lesson. And maybe it's a lesson I need to learn too. And maybe you do too. Listen, spiritual ends are never achieved by carnal means. Spiritual ends are never achieved by sinful carnal means now that's true as individuals I think it's true as churches listen if you can't do it God's way if you can't do it with integrity if you can't find a, a way for it to be done in the spirit you need to wait you need to look for an alternative if it isn't God's time don't do it I remember an old song. I'm not going to try to sing it this morning. It's too high, but in his time, you recall that song? 
in his time God makes all things beautiful in his time Lord please show me every day that you're teaching me your way that you do just what you say in your time we need to learn that we need to live in that as individuals and as a church but you know we also need to understand this principle as a nation I noted during a speech this past week as they were marking the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, our Vice President Kamala Harris gave a speech to chastise and criticize those working to stop abortion and save children's lives. She said this, and I quote, the right of every woman in every state in this country to make decisions about her own body is on the line. And then she said, America is a promise. Quote, America is a promise, a promise we made in the Declaration of Independence that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit to happiness. And as I listened to that, I thought, well, that's interesting. Did you notice what she left out? In the Declaration of Independence, after it states that all men are created equal, it says this, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I thought it was interesting what she decided to delete. Rights given by the creator, and those rights begin with life you see what happens when we dismiss God we lose so much more now folks I like you see the moral foundations of our nation crumbling all around us and yes it is real and it concerns me and there are things I want to do but I have also seen, and listen here, in the last few years as Christians, we are tempted to use carnal means to try to accomplish spiritual ends. I, I look at the mob taking a page from our own recent history, just trying to overthrow the peaceful transfer of government in Brazil. Have you been following that? Many of those Christians, many of those who were participating were Christians, doing so in the name of Jesus. Shouldn't be. So many Christians have compromised when it comes to their leaders and the people they endorse because they think that power is more important than righteousness. But friends, we need to trust God's timing. We need to live rightly, for righteousness exalts a nation. We need to pray fervently because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. The Bible says that when the righteous flourish, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people grow. So I'm looking to the church today. 
Abraham failed the test. Do we fail the test? Integrity is so important. And we need to wait patiently, not to take matters into our own hands, but to say, Lord, we will follow you. We will trust you. We want to be conformed to your image. We learn to turn the other cheek. We learn to love our neighbors. We learn to pray for those who are against us. We trust in you, and we trust in the long run that your will will be accomplished because empires rise and fall, nations flourish and diminish, political parties flash in and flash out of existence, but it is the kingdom of Christ that will endure without end. And so I look at Abraham and I realize he messed up a whole lot of things. And then I think, you know what? I've messed up a whole lot of things too. I've not always listened to God. But here's the thing. Grace. You know, this isn't the end of Abraham's story. God didn't give up on Abraham. I would have. This is not my guy. And God is not about to give up on you either. Because in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. He's still working on you. Be encouraged. But keep listening to him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this message communicates your heart to your church today. That, dear Jesus, we would not get ahead of you. We would not try to take things and matters into our own hands. But we would trust, Lord, that in following you and being conformed to your image and, Lord, allowing your kingdom to come in us, we will see your kingdom come in our church, in our homes, and in our nation. Revive us, Lord, with a longing to know you. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel proclamation of Hagar in the midst of her aloneness and desperation. You saw her, and you had a promise for her. I suspect, Lord, that someone here today feels lost and alone and hurting and wondering what's next. Lord, would you let them know that they're seen and they can trust you? And Lord, for so many of us, we look at our lives and we've seen how maybe we mess things up royally. Lord, today... I pray that we would experience a refreshment of your grace. That we would know that, Lord, you're not going to give up on us as long as we have breath. And that even today we can say, Lord, I choose to follow you. I want to start fresh. I want to start new. Help me, Lord, to believe all of your promises. Do a new thing in me. Help me, Lord, to trust you even when it's hard. Because in your time, you make all things 
beautiful. We pray this in your holy and precious name.